0: As promised, we have an incredibly interesting conversation on the show today, and if you've listened to the end of the last episode, you already heard this factoid, but it's worth repeating. Friday, October 5th, 1962, was a banner day in British culture. It's the day that the first record by the Beatles, Love Me Do, was released, as well as Dr. No, which was the first James Bond film, all in one day. Can you believe that? From there, of course, both have become British and global institutions, phenomenons. And after learning that both were launched on the very same day, my new friend and guest today, John Higgs, decided to write a book about it. That book is Love and Let Die, James Bond, The Beatles, and the British Psyche, and it's out today, February 7th. It is such an entertaining look. At pop culture and this corner of pop culture. You will be fascinated by this conversation and this book. Take a listen. John, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to talk about this today.
1: Hi, Rachel. It's lovely to meet you.
0: Well, you have masterfully woven the Beatles and James Bond together in this book, with both getting equal airtime. So, we were just talking a minute ago offline about how. They both make sense together when you think about it. But there are two cultural icons I maybe not would not have put together on my own. So how did you come up with this brilliant concept for a book?
1: Well, it just it was the moment that I realized that the very first uh, James Bond film, Dr. No, and the very first Beatles record, uh, Love Me Do, the single, um, were released on the same day. It was, it was a Friday in October in 1962, and suddenly both these things appeared on the same day. And just the knowledge of that just made me, it's it's odd. The moment you put the two of them together, like they start to reveal all sorts of different perspectives on each other. All things about, you know, masculinity and class and about cultural attitudes of the time and about Britain and about, uh, about all these things. And once I'd seen that, I sort of couldn't unsee it. Because yeah. on, on some on some ways you think oh, it's a book about James Bond and the Beatles. That's a little bit shameless, isn't it? That's all. That's a bit too commercial. Surely I've surely I can't go there. But once I'd sort of once I'd put them together, um, because that's odd things. They don't really make sense. You know, the idea mm-hmm. that you know you could create a a film with one action hero and it would go on and have like twenty five sequels. You know, over yeah. sixty years. All of which make money. All of which are massively successful. It's impossible. You know, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, every single film producer would be doing it if it was the sort of thing that could right. happen. Right, just, it's a, and, and you know, the idea that a band could achieve what the Beatles could achieve, you know, it's it's just it's just a joke. So they sort of they sort of make more sense together than with their peers, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because they are so odd.
0: Absolutely. Well, and you pointed this out just a second ago. And what a amazing coincidence that friday october 5th 1962 is according to the daily mirror a turning point in british history and i i yes. love Beatles <laughs> and i love james bond and i had no idea that friday october 5th 1962 was kind of the beginning of both that was the day the first record as you just said the first record by the Beatles love me do was released as well as Dr. No which was the first James Bond film so you write the Beatles were about to become the most successful and important band in history not to be outdone James Bond would go on to become the single most successful movie character ever the music industry and the film industry would be entirely changed by these new arrivals and it all Happened on the same day. So, how did you discover this fact? How did you learn this? How did you happen upon it?
1: Well, I, was, I think I'd fallen down a Wikipedia hole. Uh-huh. Um, it, it happens. It happens. For some reason, I found myself on the on the Wikipedia page for Doctor No, and I just saw in the corner release date, fifth of October, nineteen sixty-two, and I'm you know enough of a Beatles nerd to think. No, that can't be right. Fifth yeah. of October, nineteen sixty. I know that that date, um, and so I mean, it's particularly for Britain, you know, most countries would would kill to have you know a, a cultural global phenomenon on on the scale of that. You know, that uh, that's known all around the world and kind of defines how the country's seen in a in a in an interesting way to have two. And to have two appearing on the same day, it's just—I mean, it's just too too good. Yeah, it's too interesting, isn't it? Yeah, you can't yeah. resist sort of trying digging into what's going on there. And a lot of it is because they—they're very um, opposing in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I—I I, I write in the book how basically the Beatles. Are love. You know, they represent love. All you need Mm -hmm. is love. Love me do. Um, Whereas James Bond, you know, he's got a license to kill. You know, it's it's, it's, he's death. Essentially, it's a view to a kill. It's uh, die another day. It's no time to die. And and, and love and death are kind of like these. um, So according to Freudian psychologists, anyway, the love drive and the death drive. Are our two sort of opposing forces? They're sort of, they have uh, very different desires for us and different sort of views of the world. So I I couldn't help but see these two to be, you know, against each other in some way.
0: And we're going to talk in a little bit about the kind of crisis of masculinity between Bond and the Beatles, but we'll get there. But Mm. you call it in the book, I love it, you call them the two monsters, like meaning they're just so culturally omnipresent. Um, not yeah. only did these two monsters as you put it impact the entertainment industry, but also the international reputation of Britain, which you write was suddenly giving the world spy thrillers and mop tops rather than red coats and cannons. <laughs> Most countries can only dream of a cultural export becoming a worldwide phenomenon on this scale for Britain to produce two on the same Windy October afternoon was, by anyone's standards, unusual. I can just imagine, you, like <laughs> I can just imagine you seeing October fifth, nineteen sixty two, and then putting all the dots together, and uh, just that. I I've had I haven't had a light bulb moment uh, about that, but I've had other light bulb moments where it kind of all the dots connected, and it's just like oh my gosh, that's that's a yeah, that's an idea. So this is a gigantic, lovely moments
1: like that. Know, isn't it? They're right? really lovely. We
0: live for these moments. We live mm. for those moments. But this is a gigantic question. But tell me the impact of these two cultural forces these two landmarks Mm. in british culture on britain and the world
1: yeah you're right rachel that is a big question i know I, I I i had no pressure at all i mean especially for i mean i'll talk about britain first rather than the world we were very um uh confused as to who we were um, certainly after the after the war, after the nineteen fifties, we were sort of ruined economically. It was there was still food rationing, there was everywhere there was bomb sites we'd been blown to hell. And it wasn't that long ago that we used to think, oh, we're a global empire, right? You know, for good or for ill. That's how we saw ourselves. You know, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Mm -hmm. Britannia rules the waves. That was the story that we sort of told ourselves. And then, you know, the first half of the 20th century, all that went away and all that sort of disappeared. Um, uh, Certainly by the end of the, the, the Second World War and certainly into the 60s, that was that was that was completely gone. But it sort of left the question of, well, if we're not that, you know, then who are we? Mm-hmm. You know what? What's the new sort of story? And there was this real hunger for something new, something modern. This was a sort of need for um, uh, a, a new identity that was that was modern. And what was interesting is that both Bond and the Beatles very much presented themselves as m- modern but it was in in subtly different ways with james bond it was you know it was about gadgets and like uh, you know you know great cars and it was flying around the world to beautiful parts of the uh, of the world in in you know in austerity driven times these were really desirable it was like the future it's going to be materially much better we're going to have these things, you know, but it didn't want um, people's attitudes to change, particularly attitudes to uh, to the country, the attitudes to women, attitudes to, to foreign people. James Bond, it kept all those as they were sort of before the war. Whereas the Beatles, they loved old things, you know, all the sort of faux-Victoriana of Sergeant Pepper, or, you know, songs about their childhood, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields and things like that. What they wanted was different attitudes, different ideas you know about sex about drugs about you know religion about um you know what men and women should be and how they behave to each other um so it was it was the opposite in some way it was it was an opposite vision of britain in which our attitudes changed as opposed to our, our our stuff and you know both of them we sort of leapt at they became so huge so culturally mm-hmm. important so this to the extent they're sort of Domestic. They've always been there. Everybody knows them. They've just been in the background. We don't really look at them that much. And it's when you do look at them and you sort of really notice just how odd and how, um, you know, how much they shape things.
0: Mm hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit let's dive a little bit more into james bond first so you write the idea that a film series based on a single character could continue uninterrupted for 60 years or more that's pretty that's pretty groundbreaking when you put it yeah. in those terms always remaining successful and making money during 25 sequels is in no way plausible so you've started to touch on this but why do you think james bond became such a hit
1: uh, it's a great question it's i mean you know no it's there's something about the films that says especially to men you know it, it sort of says you, you'd like to live like this wouldn't you wouldn't yeah. you like your life to be a bit more like that you don't get it in say jason Bourne. you know no one fantasizes about being jason Bourne, <laughs> right but the the bond films they're not um they're not what men should be and they're not what men need to be they're all about what men want to be so it never really stands up well if you look at it through an ideological lens you know it's always going to be a bit sort of a really a bit dodgy but it is it is um it does connect to something real uh, and true and there is something useful about sort of exposing you know our fantasies mm-hmm. to you know uh, examination to sort of play with them that is helpful i think and i think it's striking that when you look how much the character of James Bond has changed over those over those last sort of sixty years? It sort of becomes a marker of of what um, an idealized masculine um, uh, personality or or identity was, and how much that's changed. And it really has changed quite radically over the years, and in and in a positive way um, uh, as well. It's, it's that's the sort of it's messy, but it's sort of the territory where real change does sort of happen
0: yeah now let's go to the Beatles so you write likewise the idea that a band of musicians could produce a body of work as large ambitious original and varied as the Beatles in a little over eight years which again you don't think of it like just that's uh, to think that it was only an eight-year span right I know their catalog and so in in eight years is not something that any other musicians would consider plausible. No band can realistically hope to do what the Beatles did, and you would be considered crazy for suggesting otherwise. The Beatles are one of my favorite bands. One of my um, Mm. earlier CDs was that Red. um, Oh, great. With the number one in yellow, the anthology. Oh, yes, yes. That's that's the music I I was raised listening to. Their it factor is difficult to describe, but can you try?
1: They're it factor, oh God, I mean, it is about change. It is a sort of a, a constant unwillingness to repeat themselves. You know, most bands these days, the idea is you get a, a a sort of signature sound that people like, and you kind of stay with it. And that's what people want. And that's what they the, you know, a, a Beatles album just goes from the absurd to the ridiculous within two tracks. Uh, it changes so much, that constant sort of drive, that constant push to not repeat themselves is i I think what makes them quite unlike anything else and it's they're kind of like the further we get away from them the the more awestruck we are by what they've achieved you know it, it didn't used to be that long ago that people would talk about you know the the Beatles and the stones as mm-hmm. if they were in some way equivalent or similar or something like that mm-hmm. you don't really get that anymore you know in fact in in Britain you tend to Talk about Shakespeare and the Beatles, you know, oh. rather than anything like that. Um, it's 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 the folk music that we all grew up in. We all know it. And if, if anyone, you know, some kids le- learn piano, guitar, or something like like that, they will learn a Beatles song. Sure, that's that's just it's just it is our folk music now.
0: Yeah, yeah, and to a degree in the U.S. as well. I mean, but it's probably hmm. not nowhere comparable to to britain but you write that the beatles and the bond films have more in common with each other than they do their peers in their own industries like you kind of just alluded to you write that these two stories are often interlinked again i've never thought of that until i read your book can you unpack that a little bit for us
1: yeah i mean it's funny when you just start looking at the the two together the the crossovers uh just it just comes thick and fast, you know, and and, and often they're just daft little things. But I, I mean, I love the fact that everyone in our story, it's the the person who ends up with the bond with the Bond girl is is Ringo. You know, Mick Ringo married Barbara back. The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, there's that. something very right about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 just that's just perfect. And of course, when um, after the Beatles broke up and uh, Paul had a complete lack of uh, critical acclaim, um, that's the point where you know he he sort of you know crossed the rubicon and and, and wrote a bond film and um a, a theme and um it's so unlike him you know lyrically mm-hmm. that the, you know uh live and let die is the Opposite of everything that Paul McCartney is about, you know, his, mm-hmm. his songs are about family and home and love and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, hey, he's a craftsman. You 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 hire him to write you a Bond theme, you're going to get he's one of the best it. Bond he's, themes. He's, yeah, he's
0: do
1: it. Yeah, best Bond themes you can imagine. So there's tons of ways they all sort of you know change and and sort of uh, cross over and influence each other. And um, and you know, I, I, it was an excuse to write about people like Christopher Lee. You know who was on a Wings album cover at the same time as he was the Bond villain in in um, the Man with the Golden Gun, um, and uh, it's interesting to see figures like that cross over and uh, uh, and how he he was very much a figure that Ian Fleming wanted to sort of be, but on some levels he was a bit more like Paul McCartney. You know, it's 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 uh, you can have fun with that sort of stuff. There's 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 a lot of uh, daft little crossovers. Um, That's so but,
0: interesting. Again, it's just like it's. I'm 36 and so this happens sometimes not as much as it used to but when someone introduces a new concept to you and you go oh I've never I've never thought of it that way and I mean I guess I say that and it happens More frequently than I'd like to admit, but I mean you're so right. There's so there are so many parallels here. And I want to talk about the year 1962. So you write Bond Films and Beatles Records arrived at a pivotal time. At stake was how the British would come to define themselves. So could these two cultural forces have worked in another year or another decade or another time? Why was the time right for them both in 1962?
1: It was so it was so right for them. They were they were desperately needed, and everything had sort of fallen into place, from you know the invention of things like electric guitars and seven inch records and the the, the burgeoning sort of uh, uh, pop music industry on radio and things like that. It, if the Beatles were a few years before, it wouldn't have worked, and you know if if, if a few years later someone else would have. have uh, laid a lot of the groundwork that they mm. would done a lot of things like the way for instance the idea that a band should write their own material and the, and that you use the studio as an instrument and uh, and that the album is is the sort of the main uh sort of artistic statement of musicians all of these come from the Beatles they even um you know forms of music that don't owe much to the beatles such as rap and electronic dance music they're still operating in the music industry that the sort of that formed around the beatles so they they are they are kind of that that sort of pivotal they just had to happen then rachel you mm-hmm. know it, they they were needed and, and and they arrived
0: and there they were and, and there know, they sometimes, were yeah sometimes you meet the moment and it's and it's really beautiful when when it all comes together and the moment meets the right talent and it and boom here we have you know these these two cultural forces and as you say after 60 years bond and the beatles still hold dominant you write there's been little that has come along since that has been able to compete with them and the differing perspectives they offered on what being British means are still being processed. So what two types of being British did they offer?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's the links of um, James Bond to the establishment uh, both sort of in fiction. Um, You know, he is, uh, he is an establishment, assassin essentially he, he he's um he's got his license to kill from the queen right he kills for the royal family essentially um whereas the Beatles, um they were just these four working class lads people didn't hear liverpool accents on the on the radio or on television or or anywhere like that mm-hmm. the, the the working class in britain just really was denied uh a voice at that sort of point and the the idea that um you know, four lads who hadn't gone to the right schools and hadn't come from the right families could be self-evidently more talented uh, and better than, you know, the establishment was in Britain. You know, I mean, it sounds ludicrous to say it, but at the time, that was, for a lot of people, that was a a shock. And that really sort of um, uh, had a, a huge, huge impact on Britain for the good. Yeah. Um it's in many ways it's it's started to swing away from that um in in recent years and uh it's it's a it's a real it's a real shame but there was this period where it didn't kind of matter you know where you came from if you if you if you had uh, talent or, or commitment or uh, dedication um you know you could you could make real sort of achievements in acting in, in in photography in theater in film in music um uh, you could contribute to you know the, the, the british cultural life in a way that you, you've been uh not allowed before you know it was mm-hmm. it's very it's very much the, the children the rich have the opportunities over here um For and sure. it did us, it did us such such the world of good and we kind of need it again i think
0: well, you know what? I don't even know if you know this about me, but my primary work is as a royal family reporter, and I just oh, okay. <laughs> reading, I just finished reading Spare. Oh yes, was, you know. So again, that's pretty omnipresent right now as well. I don't sure. I, will, I don't know if it will have the staying power as the Beatles or Bond, but you know, you're right. There's there's such a um, we think we have classism in in the states, but it's nothing compared to the aristocracy and the classes yeah. and you know the the just the blue bloods of of britain and that's also another perspective on the beatles that i never thought of is that they were not that you know they were not they were not of of the aristocracy and going to Eton and ludgrove and mm. schools at all and that makes their rise even more impressive than 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 orig- that i even originally thought so that's yeah it. I want to, I want to touch on this. I find this fascinating. We kind of, I kind of touched on it and alluded to it at the top of the show, but you write that a crisis of masculinity was being born through the different versions of male identity offered from the Bond and the Beatles. I'd love for you to talk to us about that.
1: Well, it was, it was after the war and there was a generation growing up and they were like, you know, reading war comics and these were really, you know, exciting. And there was very clear good guys and bad guys. In, in a way, we probably don't have, you know, at the moment, the, you know, the Nazis were evil. So you had to fight them to protect your, you know, your family or your girlfriend or, or whatever. Um, and that's kind of how the generation was going up. To be a man, you know, you have to be good at fighting. You know, that's, that's what people want in a man. Um, as, or so they thought. That's what they, that's the impression they sort of got. And yet all the girls, they just seem to want these strangely effeminate long-haired sort <laughs> of... Right. Skip, 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 we were talking very emotionally about love and relationships and stuff like that. This was very confusing for boys at the time, you know. Um, uh, it, 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 the Beatles were... I mean, it's so funny now to see footage of them being interviewed. You know, particularly like in 1964 when they first arrived in America and there's a huge press pack there. And the press pack is so patronizing, you know, and mm-hmm. so insulting because of their haircuts. They just yeah. can't believe it. You know, so now their haircuts look like nothing to us. They're, you know, they're not, they're not wild or crazy or or any anything like that. But the 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 um the vision of masculinity insisted that you had short back and sides and it was brill-creamed and it was all sort of uh, stuck back and anything else would, would was just, uh, you know, your masculinity was, was being questioned. Um, cut to the end of the 60s and you have people like George Lazenby, the second James Bond, uh, not being allowed to attend the premiere of his film because he'd grown his hair collar length. Uh, mm. And it was such a culture war issue. Yeah, all, all culture war issues, hey, they look ridiculous after, you know, a, a few years down the line. But they're kind of not really about the, the thing that's been argued about. They, they're, they're referencing a sort of much deeper sort of cultural shifts going on underneath the surface that bubbles up in the question of, is it okay for men to have, you know, hair past their collar or, mm-hmm. or, or something ridiculous like that? Um, I think I get the impression Paul McCartney in particular – He's very proud of what he did <laughs> with how how his choice of hair um you know impacted on you know how men present themselves from you know the mid 60s onwards so i think i think he takes a lot of uh, pleasure uh in that
0: i love that yeah because i mean think just think about yeah the two you know the the four beatles and bond they're very different men you know and mm. It just I just think about you know the hysteria that and of course I wasn't around then unfortunately I was born in 1986 but the hysteria mm-hmm. that women had like my mom for example who was a young girl I think she was seven uh, in 1962 but yeah. just the hysteria that women had because it was a new type of man you know it was just yeah so different than than the men that they ever known probably i know
1: and they and they probably you know had those early sort of dance set record players in their own room mm-hmm. which was just just a thrill that you could have your own sort of media in your uh, private yeah. space so you could have those boys those four boys you know singing, singing
0: about, about you love. To hold
1: your hand and singing yeah. about love and singing so directly you know, at teenage girls at that point when, you know, they've started to open up, but they're too young to sort of put a wall around themselves. So it it went straight in there, you know, it really, you know, hit them hard and, the screaming started
0: mm-hmm. and the world was never the same. after <laughs> yes. that. Although they're be- both legendary in their respective industry, you write that even though Bond and the Beatles are both English and in theory products of the same culture, they they also often appear to be quite alien to each other as we've touched on multiple times, yet they both have such a staying power. Why? And do you think that will ever change? Do you think that we'll still be talking about these two cultural forces in 60 more years?
1: Uh, I've got no doubt we'll still be talking about the Beatles in 60 more years. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, I'm utterly convinced of that. Uh, James Bond is an interesting one um, because he's he's at a very interesting um, uh, point now where he seems to represent everything that Generation Z is against. You know, this Mm -hmm. older white male establishment killer, you know, they don't want that. And there's their generation, aren't watching bond films uh they aren't there's no one's cosplaying as james bond at comic con or anything anything like mm-hmm. that okay. it, it used it used to be over here that um on bank holidays they put a bond film on and kids would watch them with their dads and it became an intergenerational sort of thing that's not happening anymore kids aren't watching films with their pet on the main tv in the living room when they've got their own screens you know up, up in their room so it looks like on one level it looks like um uh, James Bond is slipping away from the younger audience and his audience is just going to get older and older and and sort of dissipate in that way and when uh, when they fir- when Sean Connery first left the role the producers made a point of saying oh no it's fine you know James Bond is one of those characters like Sherlock Holmes or Tarzan who can be played by many people and is always sort of around and um, you know that's certainly true about Sherlock Holmes still but it's not about Tarzan You know, Tarzan at its heart says that if you get a, you know, an aristocratic white baby and put it in the middle of the African jungle, it will become king of that jungle because it is innately superior. That's at the heart of the story. Now, no one's no one's accepting that anymore. We're not having that. That's just insane. No one's making Tarzan films anymore. That's just we've just grown out of it. It's just uh, it's, it's just not acceptable to you know, our, our culture anymore. The question of of whether Bond uh, is at that stage is a really interesting one. Uh, and it's a lot to do with the issue of, um, which is at the heart of the character, which is when he sleeps with women, they die. You know, yeah. it's that sort of level of thing that it's, no one wants, we're nowhere else accepting that sort of thing. So yeah. Which which is what made the last film so fascinating because that, that um, it's sort of, that idea was sort of, brought down to the level of of plot, of story. There was this, um, it was some psychobabble about um, there were nanobots that were programmed on genetic yeah, things, really. or some, or such that. but it basically meant that James Bond, if he was to touch the woman that he loved, she would die, and he was aware of it, you know. That 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 was, I say, that was on the level of of plot, and he's a hero. So what could he do? He had to sacrifice himself. He had to sort of die as he as he did in the end of that film. Spoiler um,
0: alert. <laughs> Spoiler.
1: Yes, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> That was bad of me, wasn't it? It's, it's been okay, out. if
0: they haven't seen it by now, come on. It's, it's been,
1: been out a while, a year, yeah. is, is, my, is my excuse. Uh-huh, and uh, uh-huh. Most people have probably heard how it ends, because it yeah, was quite spoiler, a shock. Spoiler to, alert, to, to sorry if we ruined anybody's James Bond
0: experience. If I have
1: ruined it for you, I'm very... We don't take
0: responsibility. You've had over a year. So (laughs) if you haven't seen it by now, then it's not a priority for you. Oh, I mean,
1: I'm a a terrible person. What have I just done?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if they're going to read your book, they're going to find that out. um, do Do you think we will ever see a British invasion like like 1962 again? Or is that a one time thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're much more interconnected now. Um the, the things that divided us, um, you know, space, you know, the, now we have planes, we just hop over and we see each other all the time and uh, we're emailing. And, in fact, I'm talking to you and we're on separate sides of the uh, um, Atlantic, but we're just talking anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the, those things, you know, there the were divisions between, between us. Uh, and so I can't imagine... There being anything, and you know, b- bits of our culture will slop back and forth, and you know, we'll take American things, and we might have some good British things that you might like, and there'll be some great. But we're getting things more around the world now, you know. When you were, um, uh, there's some really interesting um, Asian films sort of coming through, and you know, there's a lot of people listening to Korean music, and uh, mm-hmm. um, it's it's just all slopping around the world, as I say, and, and swishing, mm-hmm. and it and, it's, and it seems in a way it looks healthy to me, mm-hmm. you know. So I can't imagine um anything quite like the the British invasion uh, happening again which is probably a relief <laughs> i think for some, for some people
0: my last question for you what a what a delight and a joy this interview has been but what do you hope readers get from the book ultimately
1: well it's that there's something lovely about when there's things that you are so familiar with you don't quite see them anymore you don't sort of um mm-hmm. Yeah, they're always there and you you know them, you know. Uh, when you suddenly get new perspectives on them, when you suddenly sort of see you know, uh, how much more they they have to tell you, uh, I kind of love that feeling because it's a yeah. reminder that that it's not just these days. It's, it's everything that's familiar, you know, has more to it and there are new ways of looking at it uh, and there are insights just sort of lying around. You know, you don't have to, you know, you know, march off into some elite cultural sphere to come up with the gem you know the thing the things around you um you just kind of need to look at them at a different angle just look at yeah. the world around you at a different angle and it'll it'll inform you of so much stuff so um hopefully that sort of the book does that on those subjects and, and hopefully the more you know, more of that i like that sort of stuff
0: Well, Love and Let Die, James Bond, The Beatles, and The British Psyche is out February 7th. John, thank you so much for being here today. What a fun and interesting conversation.
1: It's a real pleasure, Rachel. Lovely to talk to you.
0: This book was fantastic and it's out today. Again, it's Love and Let Die, James Bond, The Beatles, and The British Psyche. Thank you again, John, for joining me. We'll be back later in the week with one of our first memoirists. We don't ever have memoirists on the show, but we have one this week and one coming up later in the month. This one decided to say, what if, and started living the life she imagined. So think about our conversation about getting unstuck from last month. This is what happens when someone actually does the work to do just that and get unstuck. It's one you won't want to miss talk very soon.